today's episode on a Friday, we have Tommy Reese. We're going to go inside the plane, the decision to stay at South Bend and not go to LSU. And John Hollinger, uh, he had a really good piece on previewing free agency. Let's just do it really, really early and a little bit on OKC and what their actual plan is. We have a statement, an essay, and then life advice. Enjoy. It's Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice-cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. He is still the offensive coordinator of the Fighting Irish from Notre Dame. It's Tommy Reese. Uh, really fired up to have him on this podcast. You're staying with Notre Dame. There was all sorts of stuff. We'll try to figure it out, figure out if there was ever a chance you were going to leave. But did you decide to stay at Notre Dame and, and not go with Brian Kelly because he benched you back in 2012? <laughs> uh, yeah, the not playing in the Bama game from 12. That was the that was the final straw. Oh, I mean... <laughs> Give me give me the timeline, though. Give me the timeline of when you knew Brian was going to LSU, kind of where you were at with it, and then just let's work from there. Yeah, I think the wild thing was, like, I was with Coach. So we played Stanford Saturday night after Thanksgiving. I was with him that night for a while, and then all day Sunday. So he had – there was a group that plays – we always play the last game on the West Coast, and we stay out there to recruit because that's when the recruiting period starts. So usually that Sunday, Coach will play golf. He'll bring one or two staff members with him. I got the call this year to go play. So we played San Francisco Golf Club, which was awesome. And it was like him, some of his buddies, some Notre Dame people that are members there, and me. So we go. I was in his group. I was with him from 9 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night that, that Sunday. Um, there wasn't a word about it. You know, like there were some rumblings. Like my agent texted me saying, hey, you know, have you heard anything? I'm like, I've been with him all day, not a word. You know, we were at the turn. It's one of those courses you can't really have your phone out. We're at the turn. You know, all the news about SC and Lincoln Riley was breaking. And, like, looking back on just, like, the timeline of things and, like, some conversations, I probably could have put it together, but I just – I wasn't there. You know, I was – we were just finished. We were 11-1. and It was a beautiful day. I was golfing. It was, we were having a blast. And then we were at a nice dinner that night at a guy's house, and nothing got brought up. And then the next day – we go recruiting and there were some things that were just off, you know, there was a stop that wasn't made that was supposed to be made. You know, um, we finished at a kid's house and that's when everything started happening. That's when the news started breaking online. I was in a car with him and two of other coaches and that's when it started coming. And at first he kind of shrugged it off. And then as the night went on we got to the plane, we got to the FBO, he stepped outside, he got on the phone. And I think that was the final, 
agreement, you know, because after that, he came on the plane and told us what his plans were. Um, they was going to drop us off in Orange County, and then he was headed back to South Bend. So, um, you know, the moment that happened, you know, I found out very shortly after, like, hey, I'm going to have a job at LSU. And so, like, I knew I was safe, right? Because at that moment, you don't know, you know, do you have a job in Notre Dame? Like, that's completely up in the air. And, like, the hardest part is probably the assistant coaches that just don't know if they're going to have a job at LSU, if they're going to keep a job in Notre Dame, they're in complete limbo. But for me, I knew I was secure, so, like, I was okay. Now, I was on a plane with a couple other guys that weren't in the same boat. And so it was a very awkward plane ride. Um, and then from there, like, Tuesday, you know, I talked to our athletic director here on the phone. He says, hey, we need to meet in person. How does Thursday work? Like, Thursday's going to be too late. You know, like, I don't have two days to – like I'm going to, I have a plane to go to Baton Rouge. Thursday is going to be too late. So I ended up flying back from John Wayne to South Bend, like to Minneapolis and down, got in at like 10 o'clock at night, was at RED's house that night at like 1030, was there until about 1230 in the morning. And then that Wednesday was kind of decision day. So, you know, I had about 12 to 16 hours to kind of hear both sides, figure out what the deals were going to be. And then make a decision of where I want it to be. Okay. I want to get back to Wednesday here. Um, but I had done an open on the podcast. It was kind of like, look, I know people don't like the way business is done with college football, especially when it comes to the coaches. Um, this is somebody you played for. This is somebody you've been yeah. on staff for since 2017. And I know you well enough to know that, you know, it's not like you're going to sit here and tell me exactly how you feel about everything. But I mean, is that, is that okay with you? Does all of that sit well with you? I imagine between not knowing. And Brian can't say, I guess he can't tell you yeah. where he's leaning until he knows that it's done. But then on the recruiting part of it and then other guys in the plane, like, how do you feel about how it all went down? Yeah, I don't look, I listened to the open and I agree with a lot. Like, like, I don't think there's an easy way to handle it. Right. Like, I don't know what the best way to do it would be. Like, I guess he could have just flown back if he knew it was all going down. But like, if the deal falls through or something happens, you know, in the last minute, and he's staying at Notre Dame, right? So, I mean, I guess he could have flown back and not gone to the recruit's house and seen the team first. I mean, I guess that'd be the only alternative. But, like, I don't think the deal was done yet, you know, when all that was going down. So, like, I was with him. I know for a fact, like, he was upset with how things got leaked and came out. And, like, he – I mean, that's just the way it is now, though, right? I mean, and I know he wanted to, to get in front of the team and tell the team. And, shoot, he flew through the night, essentially – I mean, he probably left Orange County at, you know, nine o'clock, which is midnight back home. He probably got back at, you know, he probably got back 10 minutes before he met with the team. You know, it's not like he was, you know, sleeping in and, and doing all that. Like he was trying to get there as soon as he could to get with those guys. So, like, I don't hold any like negativity towards the whole situation. I, I think you know, he made a decision where he felt like was best for him and his family and where he wanted his career to go. But um, no, I don't hold any, 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 anything against him for that. As far as all the criticism, Ryan, where it was like, well, he should have done this. And then you had guys on the team issuing his text as a statement. And then it was, the meeting was 11 minutes and then it was two minutes. And why are you having kids come in at 7am for a meeting when you're leaving and all this stuff? How did you feel about all that? Um, I was a little disappointed that like our guys would leak stuff, to be honest with you. Um, like that's our business, you know, we're a family here and, you know, I wasn't pumped about that. 
um, I truly believe like coach wanted to meet with him as soon as he could. And so like, I, I don't think he got into South Bend much earlier than that meeting, you know? And so I think, look, there's a lot going on for him too. He had a lot of things that he had to get going. So I assume he wanted to get it as soon as he could. And that's why the 7 a.m. call happened. Um, look, I know that like when you, when, when you step away, like I know that he was in the right place, like in terms of like what his intentions were. Like I, I know for, like I was with him and I had a lot of conversations with him. Like I know his intentions were in the right place. If he looks back and could he have changed one or two things, I'm sure he would admit to that. But I don't think, again, I don't, there's no like handbook on how to handle that situation. There's no way that there's no precedent that's been perfect. I don't think. And so people are going to criticize him regardless of what, of how he handled it. Um, you know, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, you probably just fly back and, and get and get in front of the team as soon as you can. And but again, I don't think the deal was done, so I don't know, you know, if he felt completely confident in doing that. What was your Wednesday like then? Hard, yeah. Wednesday was one of the, like a lot of pacing, um, Peloton a couple times to try to take the mind off of it. Um, no, I mean I was up till probably like four thirty or five in the morning Tuesday night. Like I got back from Jack's or AD, and I just sat there. And poured poured some bourbons and just sat there with the fire going. It was like, what the hell is going on? You know, I live alone, so it's just me. Um, and I literally sat there until probably I probably fell asleep in the chair. And then you know, I woke up to my doorbell ringing. My dad's on staff here, and no text, no call, completely unannounced. Just shows up in my house like nine thirty in the morning. I was like weirdly had a headache, um, and I was like, so we talked through some things. I didn't want to like go out in South Bend because I didn't really want people to know I was there, to be honest. So like one of our GAs brought some breakfast and stuff over and talked through some stuff. Um, and then I kind of kicked everyone out and I was like, okay, I need to figure this out, you know? And look, a lot of it was, I didn't have all the contractual information yet. Like I was waiting for stuff to come back so I could make a decision based on facts. Like I need to know all the information. Um, and so then once all that came in, it was probably like five, six o'clock. And then I knew, I think I knew that I wanted to stay and I was just waiting for it to be compelling enough to stay. If that makes sense. Or like all the pieces to align the way that we had kind of hoped or planned for them to. Um, but I think deep down, like my gut kept telling me there was one moment after I worked out, I took a shower and I got out of the shower, like pissed. And like, I thought I was gone. You know, if there's about a half hour stretch where I was like, you know, screw this. I was pissed about a couple of different things and just, I was like, I think I'm going to leave. And then I kind of calmed myself down and had another conversation. And then the information started coming in. And then I realized, okay, this is where I want to be. And I knew right when I saw our players, like I knew that I made the right choice. So there was a window where you were going to take the LSU job. There was a couple windows. Yeah. Like I think initially, like when you have the conversation, the first one, you're like, hell yeah, this is exciting as heck. I think I texted you, you know, we were texting when I was on the plane, um, just like, hey, what's it like down there? You know, I got on the phone with Joe Brady. I got on the phone with all these different people looking for advice. And um, I was excited. I mean, look, it's an opportunity. Like, go coach at, the, at LSU at a new opportunity at a level that's, you know, the SEC and you're playing against Saban and A&M and recruiting against those guys. Like, as a competitor, that's exciting as hell. I mean, that's what you do this for. Um, I think – and you don't know if you have a job, right? Like this is, this is the only job I have. Like, I'm not guaranteed anything here. So 
um, you know, as you get further away from that initial conversation and you realize Notre Dame is going to become an option, you know, what's that going to look like? What's, you know, contractually leadership wise, like what is all that? Like the further you get away from that initial conversation, you start realizing, okay, maybe I do want to be where I'm at. Um, but I would say like the majority, like Monday night I was gone. The majority of Tuesday I was gone. And then Wednesday it kind of all flipped. And, you know, I use the analogy like, one, I felt like Notre Dame was the Alamo and like it was under attack. Everyone was going to die. And like I, I told you, like I wanted to fight for Notre Dame. There was something inside of me that, like, and I've never felt that before. Uh, it was just a new sense of like allegiance or, um, you know, respect. I, I don't know what it was, but I was like, this is where I want to be. And I want to support Notre Dame through this time. Like, look, we just essentially went under attack or had our world completely flipped upside down. Like, I wanted to be there to help fight through this and, you know, give the program some life and some energy that uh, everything's going to be fine. We're going to write this ship and we're going to keep things going in the right direction. When you texted me, you wanted to fight for Notre Dame. I knew there was no way you were leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And probably like deep down, I probably knew that, but again, I didn't know what the, like, like I didn't know what the opportunity was going to be. Right. I mean, there's, there were very few opportunities at Notre Dame that would have kept me there. You know, like the head coach had to have been somebody that I knew and trusted or else I'm not staying. Like, I didn't want to be part of an arranged marriage because those don't often work out, right? Like you're going to bring in some coach and say, you have to keep this guy. Like that doesn't work out, right? And so there was a relationship here with me and Marcus, right? You know, there's a couple other coaches out there. There's a relationship there where I would have trusted it. But like this was one that I trusted and this was one that I signed off, like not signed off on, but they knew that this was going to, be a way that I could stay. Um, and so, yeah, I guess probably deep down, I always wanted to stay, but I didn't know if that was going to be an opportunity or not. So, I mean, I zillowed Baton Rouge. I was all, I was all in, I was figuring it out. Um, you know, my buddies were all in, all in. I mean, those guys were more fired up than anyone. Um, you know, one of our GAs was all in is he single. Um, the girlfriend was actually all in. So like there were a lot of pieces that were there, you know, and, um, but then, you know, Wednesday hit and Notre Dame, we figured it out, you know, we figured out a way to keep everything intact. So once it was Marcus, then you were in. Yeah. I mean, there's, there were other parts of like the deal, right? right. Like, like I'm sure you got to raise, I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, there, but it's not about, it was like the autonomy, like coach is an offensive guy, you know, was he in here every day? No. Was he a big part of all that stuff? No, but there were still things that like, I wish I could have had full control over the last couple of years. And now I'm going to have that. Like the autonomy part of the job was as important as anything. Um, you know, the, <clears throat> the sequence of events with market, like I met with Jack Tuesday night, Marcus met with him Wednesday. So like, even when I met with Jack Tuesday night and said, Hey, this is something I'm good with. Like, I still didn't know if it was going to happen because Jack hadn't met with Marcus yet. You know, like that had to come second where, okay, like you're sitting there Wednesday, like, okay, I hope it's going well. You know, like, like I believe in Marcus and I trust him. But at the same time, you know, Jack could say, hey, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. Um, which would have all, you know, I would have been on a plane to Baton Rouge the next morning. And so, you know, there's a timeline there where things, you know, you had to kind of wait and figure out what was going to happen. I don't know that I want you sharing with everybody that we were texting about this and having everybody in LSU, the alums, think I can't close you. So you're not, you're not doing me any favors. 
You don't have, you can, we can edit that part out. I was just, no, like, I'm was keeping trying, it in. I'm keeping yeah, it I in. Was, look, I reached out. I mean, I was trying to gather as much advice, information I could, right? Like, you're somebody I respect. I know you have a ton of ties to LSU. You've been down there a bunch. I wanted to know what it's like. I talked to Joe Brady on the phone. I talked to Coach Fitz at Northwestern, who's dealt with, do I stay at Northwestern or do I leave for all these other jobs? Right. Like, so he's a guy like Mike Trico is a guy that's called our games for the last, you know, however many years. And, you know, he's somebody that reached out to me with advice, like all that stuff. I was, I wanted as much information and facts that I could get. So I could like, look, this was a big decision for me. I wanted to be able to make it with facts and information. I didn't want to just go off a whim. I'll tell you, and as, as I said, and I'll share this with everybody, there have been two or three moments in my life where Mike Tirico has given me the best advice of anyone. I've talked to and granted my thing is more aligned with what Mike does as opposed to what you're doing. But he's um, he's an incredible resource. If if you're lucky enough to call him a friend, talk to me. Uh, tell me about Marcus Freeman. then. Yeah. Um, look, and like for me, the decision ultimately became like, how much do you believe in this guy? Right. Because this is the like you are putting your trust into him as a head coach. Right. And I'll tell you, like. I couldn't be more like full steam ahead with him. You know, I think, first of all, he's a great person. Like, I think that's the first thing that I try to find. Like, is this somebody that, like, morally, is he in the right place? Like, is he someone you can trust? And, like, without a doubt, that's a yes. Um, you know, he's very competitive, which, like, him and I see eye to eye and a lot of things in that sense. Um, and he just relates to our players and recruits in a way that's different, right? And I think that's what ultimately, like, I believe he can help take Notre Dame to the next level because – of the way he is with our players and the way he's going to be able to recruit at a high level. Like he's completely player driven and player centric, which I believe in. And I believe that's ultimately going to bring the best out of this program. And so he's going to continue to raise the level of our recruiting. Like he has the last year. I mean, even like he was defensive coordinator, just the way he recruits as a competitor on offense. Like I needed to raise my shit. You know what I mean? Like that was something that I knew and I'm not going to let somebody down the hall outwork me. So like just the way he attacked it every day, like I was like, no, 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 like, okay, we're doing it and we're going, you know, further in this than we have. And I think that he's going to have that impact on the whole program. And so like, I'm all in, like, that was the decision. Like, how much do you want to put your, like, I know what I'm getting with Coach Kelly. I know what LSU is. Like that's, that was actually the safer of the two decisions. Crazy enough. Like I knew what I was getting into. You know, staying is a little bit more unknown, you know, albeit I know Notre Dame, I know the players, but this is a new regime. And so, um, you know, I, I would not be here if I didn't believe, you know, without a doubt that he's the right guy for the job. Your love for ND. Um, you went to high school in the Midwest, right? Right outside of yeah. Chicago, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you go there, you play right away, you deal with, you know, I remember this is when we first ever met, you know, I was just like, after the fact, we had met, I, I don't know how long you were, if you were just out of school. I, I know I didn't meet you while you were in school. I'm not that pathetic. Um, but I was just like, you know, you, you got yo-yoed all over the place. You've got the 2012 deal where you're benched and then you come out against Purdue and the whole place boos you. Right. I got arrested. You, I wasn't benched. I got arrested. But yeah. Yeah, I was trying to help you. Well, yeah. You got arrested and you were suspended from the Navy game in yeah. Dublin, right? Yeah, and that that meant you couldn't. What was that like to be a college kid looking forward to that game in Dublin against Navy, and they'd be like, "Hey, you can't go because you resisted arrest running away from a college party." Uh, 
I thought I was going until like a couple weeks before. So like I had never been out of the country. I guess I went to Mexico on spring break, but never really been anywhere. Um, but yeah. The funny thing is we were supposed to go last year and then COVID struck. So I'm over two on Ireland trips, you know? So like we're supposed to be going twice. College, like I, I ended up, my girlfriend went to Auburn at the time. So I flew down there and I watched the game from there. Like I was just at Auburn for a weekend. So hanging out. Wait, did anyone recognize you on campus? Uh, I don't remember. Probably. I mean, I they, like, they all knew who I was. So like, they're like, hey, why aren't you at the game? I was like, well, you know, some things, some things went poor. Okay, all right. So you're not in Dublin for Navy. Everett's starting, right, against Purdue. Uh, yeah. You're at South Bend. And then did you get, I don't know, you think you only got booed because of that? The turnovers didn't help, probably. You know, the interceptions. I think I was like 20 and 12 the year before. Um, look, nobody wanted me to play. Like, there was always something better, right? And I get it. But at the moment, I thought I was the best guy. Like, if, if I wasn't the best, like, coaches don't play people because they like them. Like, their livelihoods are on the line. Like, they're going to play whoever gives them the best chance to win and keep their freaking job. So, I would, at times, I was the best option. So, it's not my fault. You know what I mean? And so, I get it. Look, if I'm coaching. I don't want me as my quarterback. I want better. Um, but like to answer your question, like the love for Notre Dame, I grew up north of Chicago where everybody is pretty much a Notre Dame fan. I hated Notre Dame growing up. You know, my dad hated Notre Dame. My grandfather hated Notre Dame. My grandfather grew up 30 minutes from here and was an Indiana fan and was like a Bob Knight disciple. So I grew up like, like it was UCLA for me because my brother, my mom, my dad were all part of it. You know, I went to a bunch of Northwestern games. I could not stand Notre Dame. And then I got here on a visit, and, like, I just felt at home. I don't know. Like, it felt like where I grew up. It felt like the Midwest. Like, I love the history of football. Like, I'm a football junkie. Like, the history of it, grew up with it. That all was very appealing to me. And so I got here, knew it was where I wanted to be, committed. You know, went through a tough four years. Like, you alluded to it. Like, there was ups, there was downs. You know, there were times, you know, after school, I'm like, I'm never going back there. And then three years later, I was back. And then there's been tough times as a coach, and it's up and down. But, like, the allegiance is about the people and the guys that have – the players, the people that have impacted my life, like, the people that are that care about this place in the right place. Like, I think a lot of the negativity comes from people that aren't really a part of the school, you know. And so um, this was the first time where I like, – I don't know. Like I told you, like I, there's something that compelled me that overtook me to like, hey, you want – this is your spot. You need to go support it. And um, it was pretty cool to have that feeling, you know, something I hadn't felt in a while. It, um, it, it hit me hard, and it was something that I knew was the right – like I said, when I made the decision, I knew right then and there it was the right. Your speech to the players coming back was awesome. Um, you referencing that earlier. Hey, once I saw these guys, I just kind of knew. Um, what was it like conference championship weekend knowing that there was an outside chance if the pieces fell the way they did that you'd be in a playoff, but Brian's down in Baton Rouge? Yeah, look, I I, I think we, like coach was very much like the CEO of everything, right? So like both sides of the ball were running, you know, we're, we're good to go. You know, some things were going to change, obviously, with how things are run from the top down, but you know, I think a lot of us felt like, okay, we have an extra chip on our shoulder. Like, let us in. You know, like, let's see what we can do. Like, we have all this energy. We have all this momentum. Like, let us in and let's see how it goes. You know, and so 
I was in Chicago for the weekend and I was watching it with some buddies and stuff. And you know, Oklahoma State falls early and you're like, holy crap, this is going to happen. And then Bryce Young does what he does, you know, takes care of that one. And yeah, you know, I didn't feel great about the other two upsets, right? You kind of felt like, okay, State could lose, Bama could lose, and then you're in. You know, that was kind of, for, to me, that was always the path. I didn't see Cincy or, or Michigan losing those games. Um, I really didn't think Bama was going to lose either. I just thought the quarterback mismatch was that high. And so, you know, we were hopeful that the defense could have figured it out and taken care of them. But, look, we had a great year, you know, 11-1, Fiesta Bowl. Could be worse. You know, obviously, we'll be back in the playoffs soon enough, I believe. So, um, it was a weird day watching ball and just kind of figure out, like, hey, all this games impact us. You know, I'm sitting at a bar eating lunch. There are Notre Dame fans there, like, looking at me on every play. I'm like, yeah, I got it, you know. So, um it was fun, though. I mean, I, we don't get to watch those games very often. So just being able to watch football that Saturday and Sunday was enjoyable. I'm happy for you, man. So uh, good luck against Oklahoma State. We'll talk again soon, all right? Yeah, man. I appreciate it. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We have him again. This is exciting. John Hollinger, the athletic, who uh, did something recently. I think it was the end of last month where he did a preview free agency. Uh, I don't know, nine months out. And the thing is, I, I you could do you could do a 2024 free agency preview and I would check out some of that stuff. But before we do that, uh, you have a piece up about the Oklahoma City Thunder, the roster. Yeah. They, they didn't look all uh-huh. that great against Memphis uh, not that long ago. Um, I think it was a little tongue in cheek. So it felt like the rare writer sticking up for Sam Hinkie retroactively. Cause I know Sam <laughs> had very few writers in his corner as I am just as sarcastic as your piece. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it up for two Sams at the same time. Wait, Good what job. is GM's name? Sam. Huh? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a tongue in cheek piece saying Colangelo should take over in Oklahoma city, which obviously is not a thing that anyone believes. Um, but they did lose by 73 points to Memphis the other night. So uh, the the thought behind it, though, because like 
you know, you you were in front office in Memphis, as everybody knows, you still have a ton of contacts. Um, what I always thought was interesting about Hinky is if you talk to other league execs, they would hate it because it was basically like this guy's judging a completely different scale. Sam has the equity. Sam has the equity because of what he's done and what he's built in the past and his draft record, yeah. especially at the top end of the draft. Uh, how different do you think the two are consumed inside of league circles? Uh, very differently because it doesn't feel as revolutionary a because Hinky already did it um and b i mean oklahoma city at least had the year with chris paul where they made the playoffs first so that it's felt it's felt a little less uh overt i guess uh for for lack of a better word now we'll see how long this goes and how much you know because really like they're still playing campbell walker's money until 23 so this like this goes on another year and a half, then people are going to start kind of looking at their watches and being like, okay, like when when does this ever get better? What do you think he does? I and I love talking with people about this because you look at all the assets and all the picks. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to trade for whatever the equivalent of a Paul George in a year and a half left is to throw him with this group. And I don't mean Paul George specifically, yeah. but a transaction like that. Like, hey, we've got a you've got a mad star. All right, we'll bring him to a place he's not going to resign in Oklahoma City and yeah. give up these picks. Um, you can't use all of the picks. Is it just a matter of maybe Sam once he's decided, okay, I'm all in, of just maybe changing what the price is to move up in the draft for the right guy, like paying yeah, absurd I mean tax. I definitely see them pooling those picks to move up in in drafts like year after year. I mean, that's the most obvious pathway I see to him using that. I mean, he may selectively try to use some of them. If there's a young player he likes that becomes available, you know, maybe maybe he, you know, diverts one of the picks that way. If there's a trade opportunity for a particular guy who is signed for a few more years and can be part of this foundation, you know, another Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, sure. Maybe he uses the picks that way. But most likely, I, I think you're right. He's coming into draft day and he's trying to trade up and and get the best, you know, get the best outcomes each year from one or two picks rather than drafting like six guys. Cause you can only roster 15 of them at the end of the day. So you you'll you'll just never be able to get the full equity from all those picks uh, unless you use them to move up. See, this is what's really interesting, though, because it, in a way, this is just not how this league operates. So if you're the GM, and depending on you know, how confident you are in yourself or your own job security, which is probably more rare, you know, I think there's, there's, le there's certainly less than 10 GMs that have so much equity built up with what they've accomplished in their ownership that they can do whatever they want. Um, yeah, and absolutely. It's, and it's, you know, I've used this example a million times. If you evaluated it, Carl Anthony Towns and Christophs Przingis, and you like Przingis a little bit more, you would still take Towns number one because you would just go if I if I get Towns wrong, I'm going to be better. Is if I get Przingis wrong, everybody's going to want me fired, right? So yeah, if you're, that's what if, happened with Odin with Odin and Durant too. I think was a perfect example. Yeah, just the fact that if you if you picked Durant and and were wrong, you were definitely getting fired, which is why we've seen a lot of revisionist history. But at that moment. I think every GM was taking Odin or pretty much every GM was taking Odin one just because being wrong, taking Odin and being wrong wasn't nearly as risky as taking Durant and being wrong.
Right. Another another great example, although it was always interesting years removed from that, how many people I'd hear from Sammy like, well, you actually had Durant one. I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Odin was insane in college. I mean, he was that good. Yeah. And he he would have, if he were healthy, he would have been a terrific player. He wasn't going to be Durant because, you know, we're not going to have maybe 10 guys that ever play this game. They're going to be Durant. So the reason I bring all of this up is that let's look at, and, and people have to understand where we were in the time. If you go the Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram draft, and you're the Celtics at three, and it's Jalen Brown, which was a surprising pick to many, but it felt like it's this first tier, and then the next tier starts at tier three. There isn't even a tier two yeah. based on the projections of these prospects. And Jalen Brown has shattered that. He's been incredible. But don't apply today's, not you, but everyone listening, today's um, thought of who Jalen Brown is in comparison to those other guys. So if you're Sam Hinkie in that kind of draft at the third pick, does the GM go, oh, cool, I get three extra firsts to to move out of the clear number one tier to a total question mark at pick three? Again, the league has never really operated that way, so he can have all yeah. of these assets, but I am, again, afraid for him is dramatic, but I don't know if it's actually going to go that way because we've never seen the league do it. Where, where, where he's going to be using those assets is probably more like to trade from 14 to 8, but not you're not trading from five to one. I don't think even with those assets, people just aren't going to give up one or two. They're, they're just not, um, there, there'll be rare exceptions, you know, maybe, you know, we, we did see it happen with the Fultz Tatum trade, but most, most likely the, the, it's not even a question of the price being too high. There's just not going to be a price The te- teams just aren't going to want to do it. And so the most likely scenario is that, because a lot of these picks are coming from other teams, and then so they're going to end up in the middle or late part of the first half of the first round. Oklahoma City's counting on their own picks to be the ones that get them the next Durant, right? The where they're they're what they're trying to do with the picks from the other teams is pile enough room together that they can do a move up scenario and get hopefully another late lottery pick out of it each kind of each draft cycle. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about it because I just don't know that that's understood. But then you're also exposing yourself if you move up. When you look at the track record, like 14 to 8, and you know I understand the value curve and how it shifts down away from the top pick all the way through. I think the picks have actually become sort of overbought in a way. Where Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's, trading up, definitely. The history on trade-ups is teams have totally overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> Just in Oklahoma City's case, it makes sense to overpay because you're going to lose you're going to lose more value by making the picks just because you can't you can't even keep everybody like it's impossible. Even you can't even keep everybody through the end of their rookie contract. If, if you look at how many picks they have, it's insane. So th- so this is the way they they for, for them to work it to their greatest advantage. Right. Unless I don't know, Anthony Edwards in three years goes, I want to play in Oklahoma City and it's the only place I want to go, you know. I just, I can't, I can't really, you know, the, the one, like the guys you could see that maybe that happening with are like guys with roots in Oklahoma, right? Like if uh, Blake Griffin got talked about back in the day, uh, tre- you know, Trey Young's on Supermax now, but like, you know, five years down the road, maybe he, you know, gets thirsty for something different, but that like, that's the only scenario you could even imagine, right? Like somebody, some random NBA guy who, you know, grew up on the West coast or something, isn't going to be like, you know what? I really want to sign with Oklahoma City. Like, it's not, I, I just don't see that happening. No. And the final thought on the Thunder here um, them being two and one, but a minus 61 point differential over a three game stretch, does that destroy <laughs> modern analytics as we know it? <laughs> Ryan's using my own tweet against me here. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, 
It's it's pre, it's pretty. Is it's Sloan pretty called off? They want, did they they call off Sloan? <laughs> I I think I would I would I think I would still go with for predictive value. I think I would still go with it with with them being a below average team and not an above average team. So I'll go with the point differential still. We'll, we'll track that. We'll see how that <laughs> see how that tracks the rest of the season. Okay, uh, an early look at free agency. I love uh-huh. this stuff. It is just apps. I've never had crack, but man, um, <laughs> all right. that was a segue. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> okay, let's let's start with the Nets guys. So uh-huh. Harden um, could have opted into his forty-four point seven million salary for next season, and then added one sixty-one. Um, mm-hmm. But now is eligible for a five-year, two hundred seventy-nine million dollar extension. So we're talking about Harden potentially okay. being a free agent or banking two eighty. Uh, it hasn't looked great. It's looked a little better. I still always kind of go to the default rule of those players still always get their money, even though teams are like, yeah, these five, the numbers five years from now are horrifying. By then the TV deal will, will kick in and ease some of this, but give me a sense of, of what the hardened reality is, even though we may not know that answer today in December. Yeah, I, I would probably question more if he's going to get the full five and, and all that money because, because just because of how he's looked and where that curve seems to be heading at his age. Um, And the fact that, the Nets could probably give him four, and it's still more money than it, slightly more money than anyone else can give him. I don't, I don't know if there's another team out there that even gives him a full four. If you think about, it. first of all, there's like nobody with room, and second of all, uh, the those even those teams that have room are like San Antonio, you know, uh, it's one of Detroit or I can't even remember if it's Detroit or Cleveland. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's teams that are not destination markets. So like what he's going to, he's going to do that. No. So I, I actually don't see him ending up taking, taking the full five. Maybe they do something with, you know, partial guarantees and what on the fourth and fifth year and, and whatnot. I, th- that's more where I see it ending up him getting the full five guaranteed the way this year has gone at his age, I, I have a hard time seeing that happening. That feels like the right answer. And you're right, by the way, it's Detroit. And, you know, practical cap and and what the real cap will be, you know, also can change here um, with moves. But, yeah, uh, I you know, I always think planning with cap space, you know, is, is a really, really tough one. That's usually always a letdown. Um, okay. So you don't think the full five, I do think, you know, look, what if, what if they have a decent playoff run? What, you know, you know what I mean? There's a version of this story that ends where it's like, oh no, he's actually going to get the full five. But then again, maybe the Nets benefit here with both of their guys, because there's not like nine teams that have been lining up for this, the way maybe people were targeting Giannis or LeBron going back to yeah, you know, absolutely. 20, uh, 11 years here. Um, Kyrie then. So Kyrie, has uh, a player option, um, but he could opt out on that one, and he would have been in position to sign a five-year, $242 million max. That's a tough full max for somebody that is Kyrie Irving. I think that I think that one is really in question just because I just don't know what they – like, do they feel like they can count on him at this point? And what's, what's the mood of him on him – 
you know, within that organization, within that locker room right now, I'm just, I'm less sure of that one. And uh, that, that, I mean, that to me is the one that's really interesting. Like Harden, Harden, I, my assumption going in is that maybe he doesn't get the full bag, but it, it will get worked out at some number that is relatively okay for both sides. Kyrie, it's more the question of, do they even want to go down this road? And so I, that, that, that's the one that I could really see getting interesting and maybe other teams get involved. But then other teams are asking themselves the same question too. And I think that's why you're going to see Kyrie's name still come up in trade discussions too. Because if he can't play the rest of this year, when the Nets are really all in on the present, uh, you know that's something that Brooklyn has to think about too. Are they good enough right now with Kyrie ineligible to beat Milwaukee in a playoff series? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I, I think if they turn Kyrie into a third star, I think it's much more easy to answer that as a yes. So again, looking at Kyrie, um, he has one more year after this. Again, it's $36 million player option, 36.5, right? He could opt in. He could opt in and make it a moot point, I guess. He could he could decide to do that and play out next year and then, you know, show everyone how awesome he is and then you know, hope, hopefully he's not restricted next year. I mean, we'll we'll see how that all goes, right? Last two years in Cleveland, 53 games, the year they won the title, 72 games. First season with Boston, 60 games, didn't play in the playoffs at the end. 67 games. Then um 20 games with Brooklyn. He just decided he didn't want to play, basically. Uh, and then 54 games last year. And he's 29. Yeah. So, like, if a team goes, oh, he's 29, you go, okay, look, even if everything else were normal, that would be a problem. My take with Kyrie has been, at least with other teams, is that, you know, say you're an absolutely stale franchise and it's been 10 years. Would you go, hey, we're getting him at 30? You know, he's away from New York and all that stuff. But I also wonder, too, and I don't know if you have any insight in this, so we're just talking out loud here a little bit. Like, how much do you have to worry about the KD part of this? Is The whole reason you have KD in Brooklyn in the first place is because of Kyrie, or is KD, like everybody else that's been exposed to Kyrie long-term, at least from the basketball <laughs> standpoint, gone? You know what? Maybe I don't want to hitch that's, my wagon beyond I think, this. I think that is the most interesting question in this whole thing, and I do not know the answer to it. But, yeah, I... I I could easily see that swinging Brooklyn's decision. Are you surprised by the Bulls? Uh, yeah, yeah. I th- I thought they would be bad. I didn't like the DeRozan uh, sign and trade at all. And instead, they've been really good, and DeRozan's been a massive part of it. So, yeah, the Bulls have shocked me. Okay, how weird is the Zach Levine part of this? Because when you look at his numbers and what he was eligible for, people thought if it went bad, he might be traded. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a little bit more specific, but you have him basically ranked as your number one free agent. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his age, free agency is all about what is the future basket of years that you're buying, right? So you're getting his prime, you're getting like ages 26 to 30, I think it is with him on a on a four or five year deal. So yeah, and his his max um, is, is going to be more valuable probably than a lot of these guys who are bigger names but are getting into their mid to late thirties, especially on the tail end of a max deal. Whereas Levine, like you're basically getting the, what you would project out to be the best four or five years of his career, probably. And he's been on an upward trend basically his entire career since he got to Minnesota. So you can have some faith in that too. 
I, I think he becomes easily the top free agent. Now, it seems like the way things are going in Chicago, that he'd end up back there. They can give, again, the extra year, go, go five years where other teams can't and higher raises. So that that seems the most likely outcome. He'd, he'd never been really pushing to get out of there either. Uh, so, but, I mean, Chicago, you, you can see, I mean, part of their logic in trying to win right now was that they didn't want to lose Levine. And it looks like they're going to be able to pull that off. Yeah, the Levine part of this too, um, and I, this is another aside that I want to ask you about because I actually asked a real cap guru. Were you considered a cap guru? You were an analytics guru, right? Those are two different things. I was probably more analytics guru, although, yeah, I mean, they're yeah, kind of two different things. Um, I, I did a lot on the cap side too. I mean, there is some overlap, I guess, but... Uh, but I, I don't know if I would have been considered a, a, a guru on the uh, on the cap stuff. I don't think a front office can have a cap guy that isn't a cap guru because it would just be weird to be like, who's that? Be like, oh, that's Dave. He's our cap guy. Is he any good? Nah. Like, you can't be bad at being the cap guy. <laughs> right? Like, here are the rules. Follow the rules. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> it is it is stressful that way. You do, you do really have to make sure you get everything right because otherwise you definitely get embarrassed. So that, that was one... That was always one that, you know, wake up sweating 4 a.m. Like, wait, did I, you know? No, but you're right. I mean, I I used to have the old, the old Larry Kuhn CBA frequently asked questions printed out and I kept it in my apartment. You know, this is going back 15 years and I would go over it and over, I would read it at the pool. I would go over it. And I, there was a time there where I thought I knew, you know, like, hey, what are the difference between bird, early bird, and, you know, the extension stuff. Like, some of the front-end stuff that you go over, over and over again, you figure out. And what I realized, though, is that, you know, if you're a GM, you probably don't have to know that thing backwards and forwards like, like you're a lawyer because that's what your staff is for. Like, you, you go in and you check, right? And then maybe every now and then somebody finds this one loophole. Um, yeah. But, but I don't know that. I don't know that the top, top guys obsess over it because that's what the staff is for, correct? A little bit, yeah. I mean, you do have to know it so that you know what's possible. And I think that's important. Like when you have somebody from another team on the phone, just know, knowing what's possible is really important. And so knowing the cap is obviously advantageous for that. But there, there are different levels of knowing the cap too. I mean, and, and I really, I didn't really get that until I started working in, in the league. Like, cause there are some very specific situations that can get quite complex. Uh, and, and that's when it's really helpful to have somebody whose job it is to just know that absolutely cold. And you know, a hundred percent that yeah. that dude has it right. Or that girl has it right. That woman has it right. And you can proceed with your day, you know, and not wake up sweating at four in the morning. Okay. So this is, this is good because I asked somebody that knows it cold um, because on the Levine deal, you know, Chicago can offer him the five year. Um, there's an all NBA clause that you point out that would change it. If he makes all NBA from two Oh seven to two forty two on that part of it. Um, you know, the fifth year was set up to give the home team the advantage. It felt like players were going short deals. They didn't care. They wanted the flexibility. Now they're basically saying, give me every last dollar in all the years and I'm just going to demand a trade. So just give me the paper. And now I don't care. I don't need the flexibility on paper because I'm going to demand flexibility, even if the contract says that I just signed it for five years. And it's only going to go in a stronger direction. You know, that's where we're leaking towards. But 
you know, whether it's the four or five, we saw it with Gordon Hayward. We saw it with Kevin Love. Like, are there just times where when you're in the front office and you think, all right, this is maybe it's, fifth, it's stupid to throw in the fifth year, but the fifth year is a possibility. So let's just give them the fifth year so everybody feels good about this. It's a little different, but still the same, where you have Phoenix with DeAndre Ayton, who's likely just going to max up Ayton, but they just didn't want to do it ahead of time. Whereas you have Denver now looking at the max for Michael Porter Jr. who's like, hey, look, he's going to be one of our guys. You give him the five-year max. And now somebody with the worst red flags I'd heard from teams medically-wise on the back now has five yeah. years of guaranteed money a year before you ever had to give it to him. And I'm just surprised the ownership or that ownership in a CBA would expose themselves to a clause that really only has two outcomes. Do the player the favor to make them feel better while also exposing yourself to a contract that you didn't really have to do until a year later anyway, because if he's restricted, you just match the offer sheet. Yeah. What what happens is basically you're doing that to get five years instead of three is is the way I look at it. Like because if the player goes to restricted free agency, what he can do and likely would do is sign an offer sheet with another team. That's four years with an opt-out after the third year. That's what Gordon Hayward did in Utah. And so Utah ended up losing him after year three instead of if they had extended him, they would have had him for five. And so that's what Phoenix is facing now. That's the scenario Denver didn't want to run into with Porter. The obvious drawback is you've committed that money a year earlier, as you point out, and stuff can happen in that intervening year. And in this case, stuff did happen. And when it's a max, like you you don't have any upside left in it, right? Uh, so it's it's a little different when it's Steph Curry's extension that you ended up with one of the ma- most massive bargains in league history on, but that you signed below the max to begin with. Um, and that's part of the reason. Whereas, whereas going going full max on a guy, I I I understand Phoenix's logic on Aiton that to to go the full to commit to the full five on him right now maybe didn't make the most sense. Um, it's it, it was close. I mean, I, when I ran all the you know numbers and whatever through my little machine, it was like, okay, he might be worth it. He might not. Like it was really close. Uh, but that is part of the logic you have to deal with. And the other thing I think you bring up that is definitely a real thing, uh, having been on the team side, is the fact that the team can do a fifth year creates an expectation from the player that the team will do the fifth year. And if not, the player will be upset and be more likely to take a four years from somebody else rather than you. And that's where the agent, that's payback time, right? So you didn't give my guy the five, so I'm going to get an offer sheet from a GM that I'm really close with that knows that it's going to be matched no matter what, but we're going to structure it in a way where it's going to benefit us. And that's that's the part of the yeah. game that a lot of us from the outside probably don't understand as well, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's usually going to be a team out there willing to do that. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Again, there's not a ton of cap space out there this coming off season. But historically, there's always been a team out there willing to do that. They're rebuilding. They know they're not going to get one of the main free agents. They have the cap space sitting around. Okay, we'll do the agent a favor. You know, maybe this this helps us down the line. But don't most owners in the Aiton situation go, okay, cool. Thanks for your projections. We're, we're a few mil below what it would be based on whatever value we want to run on this. Um, we're going to match next year so just 
just get it over with. Um, and yeah, as I say that now, the other thing too, that's important about it, the Aiton Michael Porter Jr. Comp is only on structure of contracts and draft class. It has nothing yeah. to do with like how you feel about the two guys based on their health where Aiton has never really been an issue and Porter Jr. This is why he, this is why he went where he went. You know, this is, this is yeah. why he went that late. And so there's other teams being like, yep, see, here you go. This is the whole mm-hmm. problem with it. But I think Absolutely. more teams, more owners in the Aiton situation would just go, who cares? Just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Most, I, I think the majority of teams would, would have gone ahead and probably, probably done that one. And, and just to know that they had, you know, one of the franchise centerpieces locked up. Cause again, when, especially when, if you're not New York, LA, Miami, especially, um, retaining rights to players is a really important thing that I think gets undervalued. Like you just, like just being able to, hold on to guys becomes a little bit of a thing because you know you're not going to be able to get the A-listers in free agency. You might be able to get the B-listers and maybe you luck into one of them turning into an A-lister, but you're you're not going to be able to, you know, Le- LeBron James was not looking at Memphis on his list of teams, you know, when he was in during his two runs through free agency. I mean, it, it just wasn't going to going to be a thing. Do you even make that call the clutch? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, trying, I'm totally I'm serious. To, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember how we handled that because I, I, I don't even think we, we didn't have cap room in, uh, in, in that we didn't, we only had cap room one time and it went disastrously. Um, but I'm trying to remember how, we, how we did that. Cause I, I think we might've just like made one, perfunctory call i can't i'm trying to remember how how exactly that went if if we i mean whatever whatever it was that we did we very very quickly had our had our preconceived thoughts confirmed like can we do a zoom you didn't have zoom back then (laughs) we didn't have we didn't have zoom no no talk to me uh about my guy miles bridges 23 Um, yeah the shooting has been improved i know we dipped a bit last month um, actually the shooting's down now from where he was last year, uh, overall, but I don't know. I, they're just something, something feels like it's more real with him. The minutes are up and this is somebody who's done a great job developing himself into a, a really well-rounded six, seven kind of swing guy. Yeah. And he, you know, they play him as a small ball five, even sometimes he's done a lot more off the dribble this year. He's gotten more comfortable with his right hand. Uh, I think like one of the things he's even shooting threes off the dribble, uh, obviously he's always been a terror in transition and to pair him with LaMelo has been fantastic, but he's going to be an expensive guy. And, you know, Charlotte had an opportunity to extend him before the season decided not to. And I think they're going to end up paying way more now to keep him than they would have if they had done the extension before the season started. Yeah. Cause he would have been somebody who was like, Hey, we need to just come up with a number here. You're not eligible for the match. You're not going to do that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. let's, let's do a strong been, number, like, you know, 75 to 80 million over four, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And instead now it's, yeah, it's, he's going to be get, he's going to be looking at, you know, potential lot. Cause again, these, the types of teams that have room are the types of teams that are mostly rebuilding situations that are looking for a 23 year old forward. Um, I did point out too, that he also uh, went to college with Jaron Jackson and Memphis is the potential cap room team. So that could get a little interesting. 
That said, I, I mean, I think Charlotte ends up keeping him because Charlotte ends up matching whatever offer he gets. I just think it's going to be for a much bigger number than they could have done this past fall. And just to run through this again, he has Levine 1, Beal 2, Kyrie 3, Harden 4, and then it's Tier 2, the major restricted free agents, and that's where we get to Aiton and Bridges. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you about Beal quickly, and this has played out kind of the way we've been talking about it here for a while now, was that Beal was just never mad enough to push the button that all of us kept thinking that he was going to push, and that maybe it was about him opting out of $37 million next year, and as a 10-year vet, that would be something where he'd get the full five year at 242 so that's yep. this is all playing out kind of the way like as much of the talk shows were like beal's gone beal's gone well no and it might be okay he might want out after he gets his 242 but he's set this up really well for himself to then make the next decision but again washington although dipping off a really hot start which probably makes a little bit more sense that they weren't going to be the number one seed in the east um i don't know what the basketball part of this will be but it looks like he's lined this up pretty well for himself yeah, I th- I it does seem headed toward the exact scenario you pointed out. Get the bag and then try to figure out how to get out later, uh, if if that's what he really wants to do. Uh, I I do think he likes kind of being the guy there and having some sway within the organization and stuff. And if he went to if he went to a if he went to a better team, he also probably wouldn't be that guy. He'd be more the number two guy. So I think that's something for him to think about too. Uh, and at the same time, it's a nervous time for Washington because there's really no point in him signing an extension right now. So you have to go through the dance of unrestricted free agency where he could end up leaving for nothing. So I, I, I do think that's a little bit scary for them. The one thing, again, the teams he'd be likely to want to go to would be sign and trade destinations. So, you know, if you're Washington, you probably get a little, you know, you'll, you'll get something out of it, but still. Uh, to 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 lose him after this year, I think is still probably the worst case scenario because I I mean I had argued in the middle of last year that the best way out of their situation was to trade him uh, uh, and to you know go maybe not quite full hinky but uh, you know re- reset things there and they opted not to do that and it looks like they're going to be pretty good this year. I mean they navigated themselves out of the John Wall contract somehow, which is unbelievable. And so now they're in a position where they can at least be halfway decent, but I still don't know. I still don't know what their pathway is to being like truly good, like contender level, the the way they're, the way they're set up. And it's going to be harder. I think uh, with, with Beal on a full five-year max and starting to hit the early part of his age curve, you know, maybe trending downward that it's going to get harder for them just to, just to tread water as a, you know, as a mid-tier playoff team. It's going to get really interesting in Washington still. As good a job as they've done the last two years to get the team to where they are, uh, they, they still have a lot of work left to do, I think. And it's going to be a nervous offseason there. You expect the market for Wall to pick up soon? I do not expect a market for Wall, uh, I, other than a buyout. If he got a buyout, I mean, yeah, there would definitely be a markup, uh, uh, serious uh, market market for him. I. I do think he can still play and still help teams. I just don't think he's anywhere near a $47 million player anymore. I don't think any other team thinks that. And the whole idea that Houston was going to hold out, hold them out and find a trade. I mean, the Rockets weren't going to give up a first to move off the money because they don't need to. 
So what trade was going to be out there? there there's it's vapor. There's just nothing that exists that is possible uh, that doesn't involve Houston giving up a pick to move off that money. So buyout is the only way this can end uh, for him to move away from the Rockets. Last thought here. Um, you've been you've been writing some great pieces for the Athletic. The Allen Trust ownership in Portland goes. You know this guy. This guy's really got it figured out. He's got the experience at Memphis. Let's hire him as GM of Portland. What do you do? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, move into my old neighborhood first. Um, uh, as far as running the Blazers, you see, here's the thing. I mean, they're in the same situation where trading Lillard might be the best move they have left on the table, but I just don't think there's the organizational willpower to do that yet. Um, and it's really interesting, like the pivot to a rebuild to me, it's a little bit like turning around an ocean liner. Like it's just not a thing that organizations do quickly. Um, I saw that firsthand and you know, they kind they're they're always going to want to ride it out and try to be good for as long as they can and not really pivot to a rebuild until it is well and truly totally obvious that it is over. And so I think that's what we're going to see in Portland. I think they have to see what the trade value is for Nurkic and for Covington. They're both free agents. I'm not sure either of them is going to be back. Um, I think they have to look at a CJ McCollum deal, obviously. I'm sure they're going to look at Ben Simmons trades. It's hard because they're already encumbered on that Larry Nance deal uh, with a future first. And so structuring that deal uh, in, in a way that guarantees Philly actually gets picks is, is going to be a little tricky. And so they're, they're in a difficult spot because really their, their trade asset is Dane, right? They, what else do they have that's really a trade asset? I mean, could you get a late first for Anthony Simons? Like maybe, but like, okay, then what are you doing with it? Um, and, you know, who else is on that team right now that really has plus trade value? CJ maybe would if you didn't make $100 million over three years. I mean, I think that extension is really... Uh, seen as a negative value by most teams. And so I I do not envy the situation Joe Cronin has walked into because uh, they don't have a lot of great options other than trading Dame, and that's the one thing they can't do right now. John Hollinger, The Athletic. Check out the work. It is worth it. And great time as always. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. 
no open today, as you can obviously tell uh, if you're at this point of the podcast, just because we had a lot of stuff, because we, we have some stuff that we have to take care of. I first would like to make a statement. I would first like to not apologize for not knowing who Evanescence was off the top of my head. Uh, I went and researched it a bit, and within five notes, I was like, oh, these guys. And that was not my shit ever. <laughs> it just wasn't um dude that Angel was like of, peak that was like peak locker room high school for me dude that was uh that was, that was some good pump up music i mean it's terrible in hindsight but i just couldn't believe it and everybody on twitter was like how the hell do you guys not know but was it was it d'angelo vickers right that was the uh yeah the guy in the office that that was a dead giveaway yeah i mean that was when you think about some of the small and i've mentioned it numerous times before some of the small little brilliant things that the office did at times that they were like okay let's have a scene where d'angelo vickers who was will ferrell in the office um like let's have him air juggle and then somebody's in the writer's room going yeah but what would be the perfect song and then somebody goes wake me up inside evanescence and then you go okay this you know that's why i eventually will transition over to that at some point because uh all I can think about is how amazing it must be when you you do the thing in the room and you're like, that's great. The other part of that that Daniel Vickers character was that he wore turquoise all the time. His passion was the American Southwest. <laughs> like it's just, and I don't even want to write comedy, but that part of the creative process, and then to have that kind of result where it actually just hits, um, that that kind of stuff just excites me. So anyway, I wasn't in a great mood the last couple of days because I had my own writing issues. I don't really, I don't, I don't want to say I don't get writer's block because that's not fair, but I was in a very I was in a huge rut. I was shaving and shaping. I was, I was putting the words through the lathe, as they say. That was a real cousin Greg expression. I got way too much cousin Greg in me right now. And maybe we should do a cousin Greg press conference. I'll try to do that. Maybe I'll try to pull that off at a, at a future date. Um, cousin Greg, like as a coach, giving a press conference. I don't know if I'm capable of pulling it off, but I might. But I wasn't in a great mood. It wasn't like I was walking around yelling at strangers or anything like that. But I just I couldn't figure it out. And I had a really, really long, productive two days where there was a lot of stuff. But it doesn't mean that I necessarily got anything done that's great. So we'll we'll find out about that part. But the evanescence part, once it dawned on me what it was, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to double down on this and not apologize. Because and when I watched the Woodstock '99 doc, really well done. But there was this element of like, hey, this is every young angry white dude in his 20s uh where i felt like you know what you know who i didn't go see is limp biscuit and corn with all my buddies in in whatever version of jeans that were hot that point like that wasn't ever my deal and evanescence i i don't know I, i'm again wasn't i don't know what was going on in 05 for me to not like that um 05 probably not much probably not much just uh yeah i know i kind of know what i was dealing with but it wasn't emo rock so there you go i don't know what else is there more to add to that or we just get to the kyle show let's get to kyle okay can we get screens up for this one screens up we mentioned last week uh weed came up again somehow and kyle had mentioned to us uh, not last week last podcast that during his time at university, he had to write an essay once he get. Oh, that's right. I talked about um, getting into it with the RA and the, and, and the guy hammered um, downtown telling me he would take care of any noise violations or moving off of campus. Uh, that did not happen. But you had to write an essay. And I asked you if you could find the essay. You found the essay about the dangers of smoking weed to try to stay on campus, correct? Yeah, well, um, 
it's actually it gets a little funnier than that. There was a couple one uh, the first one is we started slow. I had to write a pamphlet. Uh, it was uh, ten tips for successful communication uh, because him and I would I had like disrupted a meeting that I was mandatory and we missed a bit. It was like a, uh, it's not even important, but so there's a couple things and I'm, I only had the drafts. I couldn't get into my college email. I actually sent an email to them trying to reactivate my alumni account because there's some gold in there. I couldn't get that in time, but I did find the drafts in my old Yahoo from back in the day. And it's actually funnier because I have I have the rough draft of it, the essay, and now it's it came back to me. It was actually why marijuana should be legalized, and he got really upset at that. Um, so I have that draft if you want to hear. It's not the dangers of smoking marijuana. That was it. Just said marijuana assignment for Noah. So I thought that's what it was, but when I opened it up, I realized that I kind of I kind of f- flipped it on him. He wasn't happy about that. So I could read this. I could still read it if you want. I'll tell you, my first instinct is I'm a little disappointed that we're not hearing the dangers of weed from Kyle, but the fact that his Zoom right now has Christmas lights that are not in the apartment, but it's part of his decorative Zoom screen, yeah. I you never really let us down, so I'm open for anything, Saruti, uh, at this point. I, I imagine you are as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, so you basically ad-libbed on this assignment, essentially? Like, you or was it a user error? Like, how did this work? No, I did it. I did it because him and I were kind of... We're, we are like, you know... I thought I was at loggerheads. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I thought I was like razzing him and he was like, you know, I think I made him laugh a couple of times and he was just like, yeah, we still going to have to do this assignment, buddy or whatever. And um, so he was just it was like probably the third assignment I had to do for him. And uh, by this time, I just was like, I'm going to have a little fun with this one. I totally forgot until I had opened the uh, the document because it just said marijuana assignment for Noah. Shout out Noah, the old RD of uh, <laughs> Noel South and Potsdam. Brought my hat. Potsdam. Potsdam. Yep. That's a nice hat. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. All right. Um, take it away, Kyle. Okay. It's short. You know, I, I didn't even get to the part three is just blank. So I hope I finished it. Um, <laughs> title. <laughs> Legalization of marijuana by Kyle Crate. Position statement. Marijuana should be legalized for both medical and recreational use. Attention getter. How many of you have heard of marijuana? <laughs> well, this, well, this United States government spends $6.7 billion annually on marijuana prevention credibility thing is empty body. There have been over 100,000 people killed as a result of marijuana law enforcement, but there have been zero deaths as a result of simple marijuana use. Many people believe that marijuana is addictive, when in fact many studies have been done on the addictiveness of marijuana and none have come back conclusive. Marijuana is not legal for medical use because it's been deemed as having no medical benefit, although numerous cancer patients and people with glaucoma as well as eating disorders constantly report its benefits. Number five, the dangerous side effects of marijuana are as follows. Trouble remembering things, (laughs) slowed reaction time, difficulty concentrating, sleepiness, anxiety, paranoia, altered time perception, and red bloodshot eyes. That's just its own thing there. I don't know. Marijuana has been used for thousands of years, regarded as a miracle drug used by the American Indians and plenty more ancient peoples right until modern day. (laughs) Transition, part two, the war on drugs. The government spends over $6.7 billion a year on marijuana prevention, said that already. If taxed, that $6.7 billion deficit could reach billions in profit. It seems only local... Uh, it seems only logical to regulate marijuana instead of trying to exterminate it simply because it's so widely used today. Three, an enormous survey compiled at Michigan State University showed that 54% of people had used marijuana by age 21. That's a majority, wrote that in caps. Number four, I just said there. And then um, transition empty. Wait, the there? Empty. It tra- 
part force just says there and the then word there. The word there, period. And then the sentence that never existed. No, beyond that. that's it. That's all I got. It's blank and then part that. four. What was part four? What do you think part four would have been? Part three was. Oh, sorry. Part it was part three that's blank. Part three is steps forward and this says nothing else. <laughs> just so I was basically okay. saying why I shouldn't be in trouble for smoking weed rather than why I shouldn't be smoking weed. You did switch it on him. I, I think your deficit numbers may have been off. But, you know, who knows? Hey, this was like Depends. 2012 back then, dude. Who knows? Okay. I look, it should be legal. I'm not going to sit here and uh, go the other way on this thing. I always thought that the pro weed, because back when I was in school, the pro weed crowd was a minority, even though everybody was smoking weed. I just felt like if your primary goal every day is to spread the word about legalizing it's weed, a weird you, hill. Should have, you should have other <laughs> stuff going on, yeah, too. There are better like, hills. You, you can be into weed, but if you're so pro-weed, that's kind of your reason to get up every day, then I wasn't going to really ever hang with you. Um, and when that guy and whoever that guy is, this is an imaginary object, but the position of the zero death thing, there's no way it's zero death. I've heard the zero <laughs> death thing for 20 years. It's been reported already. It's, Come on. It's it's not, we're not at zero. We're not still waiting for the first person, especially with the edible part of it, where it looks like some people want to get out in the street and start bullfighting cars. Um, I don't think it's zero. So whenever anyone said zero, I went, I know it's way lower than alcohol and everything else, um, far more dangerous things. But I always felt like you lost me when any anybody would argue zero. So I don't know. Saru, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I, I I like how you came out and you were like, question, and then fact. And then you were just like <laughs> dropping little nuggets in there. Like it was so well done, but it was so dramatic that I think it was great. It's almost like you wrote it as a comedy. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. I think you needed to do something like, what's the next step? Like, you know, you, you threw all these facts. That's that was part like, three. The next that thing? was part three. It's yeah, that's, that's, that's what you need. You need like uh, our actionable things that like Kyle can do to make this better, or to make it, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I think it would have been an A-plus assignment. I fired an email off to the Potsdam Alumni Department trying to get into my old bear mail. So um, hopefully hopefully they'll get back to me. I don't think they have too many of those requests. But I could be wrong. That'd be, that'd be great. We could get the steps forward part. Um, well, there was a couple which, other ones, too. And I found another one that was like, I mean, when you go back through stuff when you're like 18 writing emails, I'm sure, um, you know, people that are much older than me don't have this ability to go back. And I just, I, I saw one that was like, Hey, I need to take a weed class. I think you're the person I'm supposed to talk to. Do you think we could get this done? And I was like, oh my God, I'm an 18 year old emailing a 45 year old person who's just, you know, this is their job. So, I mean, when I was looking through stuff, I just typed in Potsdam um, in my, in my emails and there was only like seven or eight actual emails and just cringy, a little cringy. I want to read more, though. I want to read more. There, it almost reads like a Trump tweet or a Bayless tweet about LeBron, like just out of nowhere, like all caps, yeah. like <laughs> question. Yeah. All right. Uh, life advice. Life advice. RR at Gmail dot com. All right. Uh, we had a lot of people respond to the college professor thing, um, which I kind of knew was going to happen. Here's the first one. Hey, guys, love the show. Felt compelled to email about this case for three reasons. First, uh, about the college professor um, and, and the guy that we've had a ton of people write into like, hey, did this, but it wasn't for me in reference to the D2 basketball player who wants to ask out his professor. Again, he's 20. If you missed that episode on Wednesday, go download, subscribe, tag people with blue checks, spread the word in the sake of being humble. Um I'm a 40-year-old history professor and have been so uh, since my late 20s. The professor, uh, This professor is clearly teaching the humanities based on the writing course detail. 
Y'all were right to note the different gender dynamics. I've been propositioned by young female students plenty of times. Hey, what's up? Everybody's just <laughs> the bragging wow. continues. Let's go. I mean, we've got some absolute playmakers <laughs> this week. All right. Um, he's he's making a point here. We're we're having too much fun with the serious topic. Uh, but young college women aren't nearly as moronic as young college dudes. I, I definitely would agree with that. That is the most true fact, true statement I've ever read. It's almost always shy and never an outright proposition. In addition to being happily married, I've never thought of even attempting to engage with a student that way. I like my job, love my wife, and don't want to get fired summarily and never be able to get another job in the field. Secondly, and more importantly, I'm a friend and colleague of many attractive women in my field. Hey, uh, the humanities is chock full of attractive women. All right, if you're a high school don't know what to tell you. Maybe pursue the humanities. Um, I can promise you they couldn't care less about a college kid romantically. They're typically married to and are partnered with men or women who are accomplished, attractive, and in general, way more interesting than a 20-year-old college student. That is definitely true, too. Um, not that this guy needs my confirmation on his own occupation here, but it just uh, reinforced the statement here because uh, he's kind of nailing this. If it's the same principle as Steve mentioned with reference to strippers. If this kid asks his professor out, she almost certainly would <laughs> laugh nervously at him and then immediately report it to college administration. The women I know in this field get hit on all the time by their students. They think it's disgusting to despise that they have to deal with it. Thirdly, and very practically, it's that students in general have no idea how important student evaluations are to humanities professors' advancement at their institutions and the profession in general. I'm positive that this professor is being nice to the kid, aside from assuredly being a professor who cares because she wants to to get a good evaluation. Having said this, I want to see this idiot try and get embarrassed and lie to his friends about the outcome. Whoa, D2. You just got called out. Hope this helps. I'll keep listening. Great work. Um, and he says he uses y'all because he's from Texas. It comes naturally. I'm convinced now because I say guys all the time when I'm talking about general. I don't know. You know, I guess at some point, maybe I'll be told I can't do it. I don't know. Uh, my point is this, is that I... I get the y'all thing now, although I do think it's co-opted on social media a little bit for people just like the way it sounds. Yes. Uh, which, when it's read which out is, in a tweet. Yeah. yeah, it's weirder that way. Definitely. Like, I will be on a date night. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know what else we need to add to that, right? I, I think we had one other guy. I'm a college professor. I hear from female colleagues who deal with this misogynistic bullshit all the time. Do not do it. Did he consider that his professor, who most likely worked their ass off to get their graduate degree and obtain work in an extremely competitive, volatile field, doesn't want their accomplishments and skills in working with students to get distilled down to a fucking quote of, I should ask her out game? I bet this quote, love doctor. Yeah, I mean, dude, his buddies call him the love doctor. So maybe, I don't know, maybe... The Maybe nothing's possible. Yeah, right. Um, ask for women's number to bar and immediately calls to see if the number is real pathetic. Wow. I, he goes, I bet this love doctor asked for women's number at a bar and immediately calls them to see if the number is real pathetic. Man, this guy's really fucking yeah. hammering this dude. That was, where's that from? I mean, you're right, but that part, I don't know. I'll tell you right now, when you call immediately, um, there's some haters out know. there, man. We've just got some haters. We got some lovers. We got some haters. Right. We've got a wide swath. This is a big, the audience for this is vast. Obviously, there's a power dynamic between students and the individual who controls their grade, i.e. professors, that makes any sort of relationship like this unethical, which you alluded to, Ryan. But that's beyond the point. I hope my own sons don't turn into an asshat like the love doctor. <laughs> wow. I just love asshat. Really, it really bolsters any <laughs> sentence. It is. Yeah. Asshat's I a good one. 
I just feel like both these guys are too harsh. I, I mean, yeah, well, I probably agree with them, and it's good to like have a reality check. Like, hey, this is probably not going to work out, dude, and it's stupid. It does happen. Like, it's not like it doesn't happen. So it is possible that this guy is the luck doctor, and this could work out. And you know, I don't. know, It's up to the teacher if she wants to actually make it a thing or not. But I don't know. I just feel like they're being unnecessarily harsh because maybe, I, I, I the first guy, you know, no offense, but like he's talking to us about how he has so many opportunities to stuff. And maybe he, it's almost like he has some regret. Does he feel like he, like I could have done this, but you know, this guy needs to be better than that? I don't know. I just think that it's possible. It doesn't mean there's a good chance that this guy is actually going to hook up with his teacher. But you know, you got to know that you got to know the consequences. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, to balance all, because we got a lot of guys listening right now that are younger that are like, whatever, dude. Thanks. Glad I don't take your course. <laughs> um, because it's not impossible, but yeah, there's there's certain things at a younger age. I mean, look, there's plenty of stuff that I think back when I was younger, I cringe, but then I go, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to worry about it now? I'm going to worry about it now. Like, and again, there'll be something in a week that'll pop into my head. Like, oh my God, because it's just your approach to life. It's different. You think you're right. You know, one of the things I've always thought is like being young doesn't realize that you're wrong a lot of the time because you just, you don't, you don't really get it. And it doesn't mean you're just making mistakes left and right, but there's, there's a part of you that doesn't under, you're not removed from it. It's kind of like the graffiti story that I told before where a guy in our house, our senior year with fake snow wrote, eat a dick on the back of somebody else's car. And then other roommates came in and were like, dude, we got to take that down. And the house was divided on it. Like people thought there was actually a good argument for leaving eat a dick in fake <laughs> snow graffiti on the back windshield of a guy's car. Free speech, dude. In, in a neighborhood of people. <laughs> and like one of the roommates was like, dude, we got families walking around with kids to bus stops. And it says eat a dick in our driveway on a car. And then guys were like, dude, relax. <laughs> it would have been a hot That's topic on my bus. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can tell you that. It was, it was, there's no version of that where that was cooled as you did, get older. I mean, did again, you guys bring it to like a vote? What, how did it get settled? Um, well, cause one guy who was clearly more responsible than everybody else was like, I don't, the conversation's over and he grabbed a towel and went outside. And then the guys that were pro leaving eat a dick on the car were, were like, well, what are we going to do? Actually get in a physical altercation at 8 a.m. on a Thursday before we go to campus to make sure yeah. that eat a dick is still on the car like you just you know at least there at least there was enough sense even then to be like okay he's got this one but there was resentment there was real resentment oh dude and i think because the person that did it nailed it i mean it was perfect <laughs> like the, the letters were like different shapes it almost looked like it was like a ransom note yeah i don't know if it was the guy was in graphic design or what it's funny that you had a big a big thing about that, like in the house. Like, there's a I can only remember a couple college divisions, but the stupidest one was about we had these these two guys that were like we would we would go to Price Chopper and try to try to get like stuff that we would share for the fridge, like you know bread, milk, eggs, cheese, and just stock up for the mm. week. Pop and we dust. had two guys. No, that would be a, a stashing thing. That's your own stash. Fuck off with that. That's not going in the big cart. But we had guys that were like they <laughs> wouldn't have they okay. wouldn't have sliced cheese they were convinced that the the stores were ripping us off so they would just get block cheese and we'd have to slice sandwich slices off of the cheese and these two guys were like convinced there was some sort of conspiracy that the you were getting upcharged like 30 cents on uh to have the cheese sliced 
So they would just come back and with this block cheese and we got really upset. It was like back one week we'd have sliced cheese, one week we'd have block cheese. Eventually we decided to just get our cheese separate. And it was just, it was an absolute mess, but it was just a strange thing to argue about. Sort of like the eat a dick on the back windshield of a car. It's like, I can't believe this has taken all this time. What the fuck are you talking about? No sliced cheese. It was just, I don't know. But it just was a strange time and I didn't like the feeling inside. I was like, we're friends and we're arguing about fucking cheese, bro. It's not even about the cheese or somebody spray painting eat a dick. It's being unprepared for the first time in your life where you have this dynamic where you're being <laughs> yeah. exposed to the way other people live. You know, like yeah. we had a roommate who once the ketchup bottle was at a certain level, he put water in it to save money. Oh, and I go, look, I go, there's better ways of saving a dollar than ruining the half a <laughs> bottle of ketchup. Like, this is the dumbest. <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, you guys don't put water in your ketchup. And the other five guys like this was. This was just one of those deals. We're like, yeah, the fact we're like, where are you from? You're asking us like we're the weirdos because we don't put water in our ketchup bottle to extend the life of it. I get but it for so not for ketchup. Like you're, you know, you're in the dorms, then you get your own little apartment, or maybe you have a house, the whole thing, and, and it's just this this rapid crash course in learning about other people in a way that you've never learned about other people before. And that's why, you know, look, as overpriced and absurd as the college industry is. Um, you know, there's something like it's not like you have to go to college to go to an apartment with a bunch of young people and learn how fucked up you are or how fucked up everybody else is. But anyway, all right, let's keep uh, let's keep moving because we haven't even got to a life. Read our first uh, one. I know. <laughs> 20 I know. Minutes in. Well, they didn't get it open, so you know we beefed this part of the podcast up. Fair, fair. Former college volleyball player wasn't for me. <laughs> Canadian, big Raptors guy. All right, six three one eighty five. I'll get straight to the point. I've been seeing this girl I went to school with. We even lived together during our last year, group of six. She treats me so damn good, cooks for me every day, cleans my apartment for me, comes with me whenever I want company. Uh, she's actually a great girl, but here's the thing. She's not very physically attractive. Other than that, she's quite literally the perfect girl. I'm getting, oh, I'm a pretty good looking dude. God, seven out of 10, he question mark. All right. Pulling girls wasn't an issue. All right. God, you guys should have a podcast. All of you. Uh, this guy in the Love Doctor talks in sports, talking ladies. But I've straight up never met a girl who treats me this well. I'm wondering if I should seek other things or if I should just really invest in myself. Am I wrong for having these reservations? Being 24 and wanting someone more because I'm getting afraid to be single, I'm thinking I might not find someone who compliments me so well, uh, has me on edge about the whole thing. I'm just starting my professional career and think having someone around to help would be cool. I really don't know what to do. Love the show and the segment more than I should. All right. Am I getting a laugh out of somebody back there? It would be cool to have her around or having someone around. <laughs> That's funny to me. Yeah. If you like having people around, having them around is cooler than not having them around. Okay. This is not new. This is age old, um, but specific to this. I don't think you're wrong for thinking this way. I think this is very normal you're 24 i would take a deep breath and relax here a little bit all right um because you're going to look back at whatever if you marry her you don't marry her or whatever and then you end up with somebody else you'll have a moment where you'll think back and be like man i really stressed over that and i didn't really need to stress about it now i can't i can tell you what to do it doesn't mean you're going to stop stressing about it now here's here's what i could tell you on on that front you know we can sit there and say that you know the physical thing is is the most important in the beginning that's what attracts us to each other so you get it um I worry if it's a hang up for you at this stage that 
it could lead to other things down the road, a wandering eye perhaps. Um, but maybe that's not your deal. Um, you can feel a little shallow about it, but at least you're admitting it here. So again, I wouldn't worry about that because I think a lot of people feel this way. Um, and this goes both ways, right, on it. But, you know, some of my happiest friends that are married, you know, married because of all the cliches, right? Marrying your best friend, marrying somebody who's going to be the mother of your children and all those, like a lot of that stuff is going to be settled. And the those are the important things. But for the health of your own relationship, if you're prioritizing her physical attractiveness over everything else, you're not even thinking about that other stuff, then there's probably going to be some kind of problem. But I'll just warn you, if you cut it off, you're probably going to have a point where, you know, you maybe feel like you've upgraded physically in the attractiveness scale. Uh, but it doesn't mean you can't get everything that you want out of it. It's just all of us are like houses, right? There's a part that you have to kind of compromise. And not everything's going to fulfill your checklist. But you can be haunted by these things, too. And I'm not trying to scare you into getting married now to somebody you don't seem to be physically attracted to. But there is something about the connection of a relationship with somebody who just get along with. Who you just feel like, not that annoying finishing each sentence deal, but if you feel like you found your person and you get each other beyond anybody else, or you can look at each other and kind of smile and you're talking without talking, all that kind of stuff, that is the rare stuff. Hot is more, is easier to find, I mean, unless you're repulsive, um, than, than it is that kind of connection. So I'm just telling you, like, well, there are there are a lot of happy endings, but there's also that kind of lingering, which I think is more common than people realize, too, is people can be married, they can be happy, they can look at their kids and feel like, hey, the life checked a lot of boxes. But there are times you kind of look back and think about that one person that you had this kind of this you just vibed with in a certain way that you may end up missing and regretting later on. I don't have a perfect answer for you. I don't know you. I don't know your deal. But to be 24 and to worry about this and feel bad, I think is a huge waste of time because I think it's very, very normal. And you're 24, man. Relax. Um. I would, I would, I'm not going to go at length here. I'm just going to, I would put it this way. As a big Sopranos guy, think about this. Think about how Johnny Sack, with his love for Jenny Sack and her 90 pound mole on her ass. And I'm not saying that she's, um, um, I'm not saying that, she, that your girlfriend's fat or whatever. I'm just saying like conventionally unattractive. But then think about Chrissy Maltesanti. What a fucking mess his thing was. And I guess you just got to, do you want to be Johnny Sack? Do you want to be Chrissy Maltesanti? Think you want to be Johnny Sack. But it's up to you. But I'd there is a middle ground, too. I'd rather be Christopher I mean. and be killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't think about the ends. I'm just saying, think about the relationship parts. Who was, like, more miserable in their relationship? It was definitely Chris. He's, get, he's yeah, buying that was, failing record that, companies, trying to get his girlfriend, just trying to keep her happy and everything like that. And meanwhile, Ginny Sack is just just being so so beautifully nice. And, and you hear about the way Johnny talks about Ginny. That's, that's love. Chrissy's got Silvio rummaging, or, or who is it? Polly rummaging through the Adriana's panty drawer. Just you know what I mean? Like who? who yeah, but that's not job? that's not Chris's fault that Polly. No, I'm just saying it came with the the came goddamn with the deal of meals. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? Was that the line? I forget. I'm just saying Johnny was secure and happy, and um, Chris was pretty volatile. I don't want to keep going. Go ahead, sir. That's well said. I would just say you're 24. I mean. Can't you just kind of get out of this by saying, hey, like, I, you know, I like hanging out with you, but like, I, you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't know if I want to get married this early. Can, have they have they determined boundaries? Like, are they dating? They sounds like it's just sort of a hookup thing right now. So that, that doesn't seem like you're really tied down to anything. So why don't you just see how it goes? 
you know, keep going at this sort of speed. And if you end up saying, hey, I actually do want to date this girl, then that's great. And if not, you know, maybe you kind of grow apart, maybe you meet somebody else. Like you're still 24 years old. There's still a lot of time to figure this stuff out. So I don't think you have to lock yourself down to this girl. You can still hang out with her. But, you know, once she starts defining boundaries and she wants to push the envelope a little bit, then you probably have an issue. But it sounds like right now you're okay. Agreed. All right, let's just balance out the uh, the pheromones here. Uh, we have a female listener who we will not name. Um, and she has a great email here. 33-year-old woman who could use some advice. Between you, Kyle, and Sarudi, I know I'll get the valuable intel that I really need right now. I dated a guy briefly about four years ago. Uh, I'm going to leave out some of the details she put in here. I'm going to make it a little bit more vague. He was an assistant coach at the professional level. Uh, we knew each other from our hometown. He knew my family well and had coached my younger brother. We hit it off right away and really cared about each other, though he broke it off after a few months, indicating he wasn't ready for a long distance committed relationship. So it would have been committed and long distance. And this guy's traveling with a professional team. Mm, that's actually kind of, I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. You know, we're talking about one of the hottest assistants in the game, but um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, he might've been doing you a favor by saying he likes to be out on the road at 33 with a professional team. Um, I know that's probably not going to make you feel awesome right now, but there's a much worse version of that uh, as well. So uh, she continues, it stung, okay? Um, but he was always honest with me about where he was at, the lifestyle, and that he didn't want to string me along. Um, so that's kind of what we were just saying then. After the initial sting wore off, we ended up forming a great friend relationship, a uh, great friendship, uh, and over the years becoming each other's best friend, talking basically every day, telling each other nearly everything about our respective personal and professional lives. Cut to a year and a half ago, we ended up getting back together. We had both matured a bit, mostly him notably. Our careers had respectively progressed. He was now uh, an assistant in college. And as I mentioned, we were basically best friends. I'm early 30s. He's late 30s now. This past year and a half was pretty close to perfect. He expressed regret many times about ever having letting me go. And has continually reiterated that he wants to spend his life with me, have a family, and we've been shopping for rings, etc. Truthfully, I've been the one with the hangups this time around. Every time we get close to another milestone, getting engaged, I bail and say I can't do it, uh, get scared. I'm, I've struggled being all in, telling my family and friends how serious we are. Uh, and really letting my heart go. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that this is the same man who now wants to marry me, was so willing to let me go. Um, she said that sentence better than I just did. Uh, and let me be with other people, risk losing me forever for years. Prior to a year and a half ago, I was truly resolved that we were just friends. So this transition back has been difficult, especially being so clued in on to everything that we both did when we weren't together. Oh, so they've shared all that stuff too. Yeah, that's not always the greatest time. But if you have to come, some people were like, hey, all right, we're getting back together. Everything you did, everything I did, get it over with. Um, and then they break up again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some people are really <laughs> mature and can handle that kind of stuff. I would be like, what? I'd be like, out. I was out. I was kind of out before. Now I'm definitely out. Um, so give it to me straight. Is timing really everything they say it is for men? I don't know that that's just, hey, can sexist much no i'm just kidding but i think timing can you know on this one depends uh do i just need to focus on the future and let other shit go i can't picture my life without him and i love him more than anything help me not fuck this up for good all right well you just said the last sentence there and i hope you understand we're having some fun with some of this um as your heart pours out to us so now i feel like a dick but uh i can't picture my life without him i love him more than anything all right let me give you at least 
an attempt at what his perspective was on this thing. If you're trying to be a coach, you know, an assistant and you're grinding and you're in your early 30s and you're going through all these different things and each sport was kind of the same with this. I know at least from my perspective, which did not exactly entirely work out, is that the goal was the goal and the goal at that time didn't involve anybody else. And there's a really good chance that this guy who, again, you only had to deal with like from him being early 30s to now late 30s. So we're talking about maybe six years, six, seven years, maybe five, you know, whatever, um, where his focus, unfortunately, wasn't about you, but it wasn't even probably specific to you. It was specific to what his goals were professionally. And I'm sure as hard as it is, the business that he's in, to now go through it, maybe reset his own goals, realize what's obtainable, maybe start to adjust the stuff that isn't obtainable. Because when we're all young, we're thinking like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be all these things. And then life, you know, can kick you in the ass a little bit. And in a way for your own life to continue where you feel at least happy and not to say that he can't reach his goals and all this stuff, but you understand, like he's in a very, very tough industry where he probably didn't want a lot of the other stuff to get in the way. I don't know that it was just about him having nights out in the town away from you. It was more, I would hope, again, this is all guessing, um, that that there was a, a real part of him where, whether it were you or anyone else he was really connected to and cared with, that that person wasn't going to be a bigger priority than his insanely competitive field. Now, again, I'm... I'm I'm guessing or making some assumptions here in the process, but the fact that he then goes through all of this stuff and realizes that you are the one person and you're saying you can't picture your life without him and you're mature enough to get over all the time away from each other. You really are because you just said you were together for a year and a half. I think you should both give without sounding like, um, you know, a guy in a late night infomercial here, give yourselves both a ton of credit. That you should both give yourselves a lot of credit because you were at this point and these hangups really don't mean anything if you ended up getting what you wanted. You won. And he was lucky enough to even have a chance to win again, right? So I would hope that some of it has to do with where he was at as a younger guy in his 30s in a really tough thing where he probably felt like he didn't have time for something else because I know that and I'm, I've become a good example to an awful example, but I would know that you know, if I were pursuing working for uh, a team or something like that, or even, you know, what I ended up doing with ESPN is that, you know, which again is stupid. It's not like you can't have a family work at ESPN, but <laughs> um, I just know that at least for me specifically, my head was at a certain place where I was like, look, I can like somebody, but this is just not going to be the priority. And um, if you've just mentioned that this is, this is your guy, this is your person, and I think all the stuff that you're bringing up here is is really easy to get over. It should be easier to get over. Not to say that you know you're wrong for for having some hangups about this, but look, you kind of won. You guys are together, and you are telling us you love him. So um, I think I think what he did was, even though it's not awesome to hear about it, I think what he did was a really mature thing, and now probably is is mature beyond where he was at before. So, Kyle. I think this is awesome. It's a fucking Hallmark movie. It's the one who got away. The only thing that would make it better is if you guys like split up before high school, came back at 30, he fucked off to go be a college or professional assistant and then came back. Like this is this is everything there is for the story. I think it's one of the better written um emails that we've gotten. And um I I think it's just it's just great. It's just great. It's the one who got away. You're his one who got away and he's back. You're back. You love it. I mean, you'll work it out. It's fine. You got it. This is great. Good for you guys. Kyle's legitimately happy right now. This yeah. guy's going to go out singing carols to old people. <laughs>
Uh, I, I do think, I mean, she, it sounds like she's hung up, obviously, on on the past of what happened when they weren't dating, right? Which I I typically think is is a bad idea. As you said, Ryan, like I've had my issues in the past of like knowing previous relationships of girls that I've been with. And I don't know, it's just hard to get over that shit. So that's probably what she's thinking right now. But I think it's actually a good sign for this relationship that... Just to jump in real quick, I had, I'm close enough with Saruti to know that he wrote somebody off he didn't even date. Because of the past, I was like, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "You don't even, you don't even talk to this person." He's like, "Now nah, I'm out." Anyway, I sorry. get in my head too much on shit like that. So I, I don't I, know if I, that's I, an, is that an Italian thing. I can't figure that one out. That's what no, I hear, but it might just be an immature. Know. It might be an immature thing. It's probably a better way to put it. That was probably more likely because I was definitely right. immature then. But um, I, I think it's actually a good sign for this relationship that, after, like Kyle said, all these years, like you've still kept in touch. You still have this connection, and the fact that he's come around is like, no, you're still the one. That, that should make you feel great. So, uh, you know, I get it. It's hard to get over the stuff of knowing that he's been with other people and, you know, he's kind of been traveling and doing his thing for the last, you know, five, six years. But, you know, he's, it's not like it's multiple times where he's left you and then come back and left you. And come back. It was one time and you, it's clear that he was going through some shit and he was trying to figure his career out. So it's actually pretty easily excusable. So as much as I think you think this is a red flag, I, don't, I actually think it's a sign. I think it's like a green flag. Go for it. Yeah, he saved all those nights when he's like out after a game and you're waiting to text him and call him to ruin his night because he's got to go be calling you and then he's not gonna. So now you're ruining this happens every week. Like he saved all that all that stuff until he was ready to be able to handle it better. So, I mean, he didn't tarnish himself in your eyes in, through the lens of being in a relationship and him not giving you what you wanted. So he came back when he was ready to do that. This is solid. Good for you. Let's end it. Let's end it there then. Everybody feels great. It's kind of like the end of the breakup if, if Vince and Jen Kind of got together, you know. They didn't. They didn't keep walking down that sidewalk. Who knows? Totally remember that movie. Love it. Have did a we like that weekend. ending? Oh boy. Um, oh, I shit. do. I do. But I. <laughs> Here we go. I remember I watching think... the first time. I was like, "Wait a second, what? They didn't get back together?" Spoiler. Sorry. No, I, I think it's we're called the breakup. Yeah, but you know what? Not everybody gets their hand held on the way out of the movie theater. I like that every now and then. Like, hey, maybe maybe it worked out. Maybe it didn't. I thought it was a great ending. I don't know that I'd call it brilliant. Um, I mean, it was them not getting together as opposed to getting together. There's like two <laughs> options there. Yeah. Like, hey, like if we have them get together, be like, how about we just leave it vague? This guy's a genius. You know, <laughs> yeah. so probably throw brilliant around a little too often. I love the ending. I, I just I love the ending. I like movies that sometimes it's like, yeah, this is just sort of what happened. And you don't get to tie it in some big fucking bow. Shout out to many saints. Um, Speaking of Sopranos, I'm out. All right, I'm Kyle. Out. I'm out. Good. I'm out. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Please subscribe, rate, review the Ryan Russell Podcast, Spotify, Ringer. Thanks to Steve and Kyle, as always. We'll be back on Monday. We've got a big, big week. Uh, a couple confirmed guests for next week. It's going to be awesome. So looking forward to it. Talk to you then.